Welcome to Go Closer, the podcast that explores spiritual transformation and what it takes to go closer to God each day. Hi, I'm Kara Whitney. I'm a wife, a mom, and an evangelist author. Hi, I'm Arnie Cole, a behaviorist and researcher for the Center for Bible Engagement that loves to study life transformation. You know, every person has a story. And today we have a story that will inspire you to go closer. Arnie, today's guest is a woman named Stephanie. This one was about forgiveness and how the Heavenly Father helps her do that. But more interestingly, we talked to her about being swept up in a cult. Yeah, that was an amazing story. And her rescuer is even more interesting. This interview is going to start off with Steph's childhood. She actually has a Christian mother, and we talked to her about that. But she has a really, really unique father. He's an artist. He's eccentric. And there were some things going on in the house that since Stephanie became a Christian, she was more aware of sort of some of the art things that were going on. But also uh, there was some negligence involved in some verbal abuse as well. Yeah, it's and I don't want to be a spoiler, but there's a kind of a surprise ending of um, how she gets out of the cult. And so this is our interview with Stephanie. Here it goes. Today <laughs> we have Stephanie in, and she is delightful, and I love it because I get to meet meet someone new, and you grew up here in Nebraska. You grew up in Kearney, and you grew up with no money. Like, how how poor are we talking? We was we was po. We were on food stamps and WIC. Okay. There were times that the church would, like, bring us food or pay our mortgage. I didn't really know that until I was probably more in my teenage years, have an understanding of how little we had. And in Kearney, there is a lower income side, and then there's the rest of the town. We definitely lived in that low income. Is it corner. separated by train tracks? Yes. <laughs> right. So you you grew up there and you're getting help from the church. So obviously you were going to church. My mother went to church and she would take us kids with her. I'm the youngest of five. So she would take us with until uh, as teenagers, we would get defiant enough to not go anymore. Sure. And yeah. then we didn't go. My father did not attend church with us. Okay. Ever. And, and so would you consider it a Christian home, or did she talk to you about uh, her faith? Yes. My mother is was and is a very strong Christian woman. She would, like, write scriptures out on, like, index cards and tape them around the house. We weren't allowed to say some swears. We could say other swears, but we couldn't, like, take the Lord's name in vain. But if you dropped an F-bomb, she would just say, was that really the best way to express yourself? Like, mm-hmm. versus... I feel like a normal parent would be like, hey, don't don't talk that way. They would say, you don't sound intelligent. And I would be like, I don't feel like that's the, the right response. <laughs> but so it's interesting because there were definitely Christian themes growing up. But then there were things that were totally not conflicting very much. My father was an artist, okay. um, which basically means he was unemployed living in Nebraska. My as sister's an artist. an artist. I'm her biggest employer. See? Yeah. <laughs> you get it. Yeah. <laughs> he did a lot of welding, uh, 3D work. Didn't really sell a lot in Nebraska. Uh, about my like early teen years, he started traveling over to Europe for six months at a time, which we all enjoyed when he was not there. Right. All of us. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so you didn't want him around. <laughs> no. Yeah. He was not pleasant. 
We did not want him around. So you were you were in a conflicting home, but with Christian home. themes. Yes. So he was an artist, and he, being an artist, he goes through all these like phases. You could say like he did basket weaving, he did candle making, he did metal work, he did clay, he did blowing glass, he did all the things. Like I could probably chronicalize my life based on what he was doing when. Like mm-hmm. I remember that stuff. And he went through a nude phase, which doesn't mean he ran around the house naked. But he was sculpting and drawing nudes, which Mm. meant Mm -hmm. he'd have women come over and they would go to his studio, which was the garage. We couldn't go in there and he would sketch them. And I mean, those sketches were all over the house. I saw them all the time. And I didn't actually realize till I was in high school. No, not even. I was a senior high. I was a senior in high school and I started hanging out with Mark and he came over to my house and he was like, there is porn all over your house. And I'm like... What's porn? I had no idea, never even heard of it. So he had to explain to me what it was, and he was super embarrassed because we were just friends. Sure. And he's like, naked women. And I'm like, well, that's art. So I grew up with this liberal side of what is art. And then I also grew up with this, but don't swear. And there were Bible verses all over. And mom would pray about everything. She still does. If anything comes up, she's like, I'm just going to pray about that, and it's going to be okay. And the woman has unshakable faith, and she's amazing. Right. She even had that back then, for the most part. Okay. Yeah. Uh, So just for clarity, Mark is your husband. Right. And and you were just friends at this point. Yes. You were saved in middle school. Talk about that conversion. because So did Mark play a part in that? Not really. I kind of knew who he was. He's a couple grades older than me, and I was friends with his sisters. He had a sister my age. Okay, so you were your conversion took place in middle school. Yes, how how did that happen? Well, uh, when I started middle school, which back then it was seventh grade for me, there was a girl in my homeroom who was very friendly and very nice to me. We became friends, and she was like, you should come to my youth group. And the church that my mother went to, they did have a youth group. They didn't like us for some reason. We literally would show up and they'd be like, you need to leave. I imagine it's because my father was not a likable person and he ruffled feathers and things like that. So I didn't go to that youth group. So when Samantha invited me, I was like, sure, I'll go. Wednesday night, something to do. And they had pizza. I mean, what Mm -hmm. seventh grader is going to say no to pizza? Not this one. So I went. I had pizza. We played games. And at the very end, like the last like 10 minutes, they talked about Jesus And I considered myself a Christian, so I was like, this is perfect. This is great. So I went to that youth group pretty consistently throughout my seventh grade year, and I sat there, and I heard things, and I ate free food, and that was about enough for me. It was during eighth grade that they had a weekend camp. Now, I'd never gone to a camp as a kid because we didn't have money and things. Also, my father was very controlling, so I don't think he would have let any of us go to a camp, even if it had been free we would not have been allowed to go. So it was a weekend camp. And she was like, you should come. And I was like, oh, my dad's not going to let me go. I didn't want to go. I didn't want a weekend of all of that. There was something in me was like, ooh, that doesn't sound like fun. No matter how much pizza they have, that's not going to be fun. And then, like, I don't know, a couple weeks later, I was like, hey, my dad's going to be out of town in a couple weekends. Do you want to spend the night or I can go over to your house? She's like, that's perfect. That's the weekend of camp. And I was like, ooh, I don't have the money to go. And the youth leaders who were amazing humans were like, you know what, Steph? It's free. It's fine. You can come. There's scholarships. And I'm like, okay. And I was nervous because, like I said, it was, I could tell it was going to be a lot of Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And I didn't have real faith. I had a facade of faith. Sure. And I knew that going there 
was probably going to call out my lack of faith. Something in me was very afraid to go. But peer pressure got the best of me, and I went and had that experience that you have when you finally realize that your life has had no point up until now. That experience of, I am nothing without Jesus. Mm -hmm. Nothing. My life has no meaning, and nothing is worth anything. And the realization of who he is and what he did and what he's going to do with me, who I'm going to become, this woman of Christ that he's called me to be. And it all just kind of came sinking in. <laughs> and I, as I cried at this tiny chapel at Camp Kamika, just flooding the floor with my tears because I knew that I wanted Christ and I wanted that difference and I wanted that better life mm-hmm. and that I was never going to walk away from it. And that my life wasn't going to be the same. And as I also realized how difficult this was going to be, because though I considered myself a Christian, I didn't live as a Christian. My heart was not Christian. I had hate and anger inside of me. And when you have Christ, there is no room for hate and anger. And it was almost like he was pulling all of that hate and that anger and that all of that junk out and filling it up with him. And it's painful. It's a good pain, but it was painful. And I just cried and I cried as I left that old Stephanie and the new one came. Right. And then I started crying because I realized that the hardest thing for me to do was going to be to forgive my father. Yeah. And I knew I had to do it, but I was like, God, he's never going to change. He is not, he is not kind. He is mean and he is cruel and he's never going to change. And God said, okay, you forgive him anyway. Mm -hmm. And I just cried and I prayed that my father would find Jesus because I knew that if I can change this much in 25 minutes of knowing Jesus as my personal savior, as him being real to me and not just, you know, somebody who stands up in heaven with a two by four ready to hit me when I do something wrong, a real relationship with Christ. If God could do this to me, he could do this to my father. And there was a chance that he might not be that horrible person when he had Jesus. So I started praying for his salvation that that minute. That minute after I got saved, I started praying because all I thought was I might have distanced myself most of my life from him, but I do love him and I do want him to have Jesus because life without Jesus is meaningless. That is true. And, And if you do not have him, you have no point in your life. How depressing is that? That's super depressing. Well, and you think about his routine of constantly trying to change things up, mm-hmm. which shows you the unsettled. Unha- the unhappy. unsettled, yeah. yeah. So you're a new creation, but you have to leave the safety of that weekend mm-hmm. and go home. Was there anxiety there? So much anxiety. Yeah. <laughs> and Satan was already just whispering in my ear, you're going to go home. This wasn't real. This was emotion. This isn't real. You're going to go home and it's going to be terrible. This isn't real. And I remember just, I had Bible verses and I had written them down and I had them in my hot little hand and I walked into the door. Dad had gotten back early from wherever he was. And my brother's like, you're in so much trouble. And I was like, probably. (laughs) And I was, I don't remember exactly what happened, but I remember he yelled at me and he yelled at me. And I went to my room and I didn't cry. I'm not a big crier. I shut that part off of me at a very young age to not cry, to not let him know how much he was hurting me. Because when you don't have control of anything in your life, you'll control what you can. 
Right. And if you all you can control is when you cry and when you don't, you'll control that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely you will. You'll control your behaviors. You'll control your eating. You'll control whatever you can when you feel like you have no control. So I remember going home, getting in trouble for going to a weekend away, even though my mother said I could go. My father hadn't, even though he was gone. And I don't know. I probably got grounded or something. Mm -hmm. I, I don't remember. But I do remember being angry at him and then going to my room and saying, my God, I forgive him. And even though I felt like those were just empty words at the time, I understood that there was power in those words. I just needed to keep saying them, and I need to keep meaning them. And you prayed and prayed. Was Did your dad ever get saved? or He did. He did. Okay. Am I jumping ahead too much? Stop. Stop. We just need this little glimpse of a look ahead of what's going to happen. Um, okay. You talked about, this is to me so interesting, you got involved in a cult. I did do that. Yes. What is up with that? Because you seem like you have this strong these people around uh-huh. committed your life to the Lord. What's going on? What's the cult? Well, I'm going to qualify this as a Christian cult. Okay. Uh, that is a cult that looks like it's a Christian, like a more charismatic Christian church. But as you start to dive into it, they have taken Christ off his deity. It mm. is a cult. Okay. Yeah. They have put a man on the deity instead of him, which is never going to work. Mm-hmm. They are very controlling. They or were. They are no longer a thing. They're not in existence anymore? They are not in existence anymore. Oh, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> right? I'm pretty sure I did a few cartwheels the day I, <laughs> I heard that, and I was like, oh, thank God. Because it's so deceptive. They very much preyed on people who didn't have those strong family connections because they could wedge in there and they would say, we're your new family now. Hmm. You don't need yeah. them. You don't need to talk to them. You have us. We're your family. And even though I did have a pretty strong relationship with Christ, I didn't have that familiar foundation. I had a mother that had a strong faith, but that's not enough. We need a mother and a father. We need two. So let's circle back to your dad, who you've been praying for this whole time. Yes. All this is going on. You're making your relationship with Christ your own. Mm -hmm. But what's your dad up to now? So by that point, he met somebody who lived in Denmark, an artist friend. And so then he started going over to Denmark, I think the first time he went for like three months. Like he was over in Europe teaching English and selling art. Now his art in Europe sold like hotcakes. They loved his art over there. Nebraska, not so much, but Europe loved it. But he would be gone for those chunks of time. And though we liked it, it was really hard on my brother. He no longer had that male role model, who was mm-hmm. not a good role. How old was your brother at this time? My brother's a year and a half older than me. Okay, so pretty young mm-hmm. and actually pretty impressionable. That yeah, would put in, him in like seventh grade. I'm wondering, there's a lot in the literature about your God figure, you know, is sometimes tied to your father figure. Mm-hmm. You just totally <laughs> hop, skipped, <laughs> and jumped that. I did. I did. Do you think that was the Holy Spirit or? I do because that is something that my sisters, all three of them, have struggled with. They were like, I had a hard time with thinking that God was a loving God. Right, right. Because our father was so terrible. How did you get past it? And I was like, I just decided, well, that's not God. He must be the opposite of that. Oh, God's awesome then because dad is awful. And I just, yeah, I just skipped over it and was like, okay, I'm not going to do that. Uh, and, And being young and watching the 
emotional and verbal abuse from my father and neglect that my older siblings received really made me, and I don't understand exactly why my therapist and I have been over this numerous times, of why I took the opposite end. I watched him hurt them. I watched them be like, Dad, I have a concert. Will you come? And he'd say, do you have a solo? No, then I'm not going to come. Or he'd say, do you have a solo? And they'd be like, I do. I'll see if I can come. I don't know. And then he wouldn't come. Like he's just like screwing with them, manipulating. So when I had concerts, I didn't tell him like ever. Right. And I was like, I'm not going to tell you that. Why? Because I don't want you to control me because I choose to not let you hurt me, which I say that, but I didn't escape the hurt. I just escaped the appearance of hurt. Yeah, but you're still finding a way to survive mm-hmm. in that environment. Oh, yeah. And kids know? will can compartmentalize. Kids are amazing. Sure. They will compartmentalize, and they can do whatever they need to do to get out of that situation in the best possible way. And then 20 years later, you end up going to therapy um, every other week for five years. Speaking from experience here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the inconsistency between your mom's lifestyle and your dad's lifestyle oftentimes drives kids crazy. Oh, yeah. I could see that. I mean, what is your mom going through? And I guess you could only guess. But, I mean, at some point, is she's like, this guy isn't around anywhere. Does she finally say enough is enough? Or No. And you, were you, and you kids, did you say, you got to leave this guy? Absolutely. Yeah. All of us. I mean, if we were smart, we would have, like, staged a coup. And been like, okay, you come in five minutes later, you come in five minutes later. That's what we should have done. Right. (laughs) But we did it. But at different times, all of us begged her to leave him. All of us. Because we were miserable. We didn't want to be there. Did she stick up for him? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. She would say that the only reason for divorce is infidelity and he's never cheated on her. That's what she would say. And then she would say, I'm not going to put up with anger towards your father right now. If you want to talk about him, I'm going to get on my knees and pray for him. You can pray with me or you can leave the room. Did that make you angry? Usually, yes. Yeah. Even after I got saved, she would still say that, and I'd still ask her to leave him, and she would still say that. And I would be like, sometimes I'd pray with her, and sometimes I'd be like, yeah, I'm going to go somewhere else. I can't do that. I can't pray right now because I'm pretty angry. Mm. And then I would eventually forgive and move on. But it's really hard. Forgiveness is much more difficult when it's a situation you are currently in and you cannot escape. Before we get to Dad, let's talk about the cult. So how long were you in the cult? Like two two months-ish. How did you get out of it? My father came and got me. What? No way. Yeah. Is it for a control reason or because he really was like, this is not Uh, Christianity? Yeah. The other. You think your father loved you? I mean, the best way he could? Yes, I think my father grew up very damaged. I think he grew up very hurt, and I don't think he knew what love was growing up at all. He did not grow up in a Christian home at all. And I think he struggled through his whole life to really know what love was. He was very rebellious. He was born in, like, 1950. So by the time he graduated high school, I mean, the man went to Woodstock, if that kind of sure. clears yeah. anything up of what he was doing. And he was so running from everything aimlessly. And then he had a really bad drug trip, and he landed on the porch of a church in Alabama. And uh, the pastor or took him in, got him cleaned up, no more drugs. And dad just got on his face and was like, 
I need to, I need what this man has. And this man's like, well, I have Jesus and I'm going to tell you about him. And then he started traveling around with this guy as an evangelist, a new baby Christian, just soaking up everything that he said. And uh, he was at a something in Texas dropping off food. And uh, my mother was there for a Campus Crusade for Christ meeting. She was from Chicago originally. And that's where they met. And suave, very charming, talking man said, you look cold in the summer in Texas. Let's go get a cup of coffee. And they did. And 12 hours later, they were engaged. And two weeks later, they were married. And they were married 41 years. Wow. Yes. So he comes and gets you. So he, he really saw, well, he, he had the word. He, it was in there. Mm-hmm. It was there. He had the foundation of Christ. And I think when they first got married, you know, you first get saved, you're so excited. Yeah. And you have just that mountaintop experience. And I think that's where he was when they met. And that's where she was when they met. And then reality comes crashing down when you have children and bills and stress and reality and adulting. I think that just took his joy of the Lord maybe away. Sure. As he got more and more involved in this selfish lifestyle of an artist and embraced that more and more and embraced God less and less. So when he came to get you, was it a feeling of relief? No. Did he come get you kicking and screaming? No. So a little bit about the cult, a little bit of background. Yeah, I'm just, this was my next question because was following a certain person. Like, what are we dealing with here? <laughs> yeah, he called himself an apostle. This was a group, a positive peer pressure group uh, that I met when I was in high school. They would go around to schools and churches and do skits and sketches. I love doing theater. So I was like, ooh, theater and Jesus? Sign me up for that. And being at our school, so we hosted two girls in our house, which is actually shocking that my father let that happen. Maybe he was out of the country at the time because he was not, he did not like to have people around the house. So these girls stayed with us and they talked to me and they were like, you should, you should come and do what we do. It's an internship. You have to pay to do it. But six months you train and then six months you travel. And I thought, I'd like to travel. I'd like to see the U.S., Love doing theater. I love Jesus. This sounds great. So that was my junior year in high school. So that was my big plan. And then I met another group of these people my senior year. They were in town for something else, but they knew I was interested. So they, of course, reached out to me. And um, they made it look like a lot of fun. And I liked that as well. So I moved out. I paid for my internship. I left in January after I graduated. The craziest thing is I had peace about it. Like, I had so much peace about going. I was so excited. And it wasn't just because I was escaping my home. It was, I think, I do think the Lord wanted me to go. The Lord put me there to save my father. Yeah. And he knew that I had a strong enough faith that I wouldn't stay. Right. Because you were questioning it the whole time. What was the cult leader's end game? Was he just collecting, uh, you know, stable full of chicks or? (laughs) No, financial. Financial, because so, you paid to intern. You paid to intern, and in addition which is to which, not how a typical internship works. Usually, you just work for free, and it's true. But at eighteen, yeah. you know nothing. You know nothing, you know and, and obviously, they know how to pick them. Absolutely, because yeah. they specifically go after people who had the the weak family relationship. Sure, I realized that like the week after I was there, I'm like, so you don't hang out with your family, you don't like your family, you're not close to your family, and I'm like, hmm, what is common among all of us here? 
Wow. That's what was common. Right. Uh, it was financial gain. When I got up there, actually, they had this little disclaimer, and they're like, okay, we're kind of going through, like, an IRS audit. So if anybody, like, goes up to you and questions you, I did get a waitressing job while I was there, and they're like, if they go up to you at the restaurant and they question you, you have to say no comment. So that was already going on when I went up there. I think they got nice and shut down maybe, like, three years later. Okay, so your dad comes to get you, but it's not happy. You don't, you're not happy to see your dad. What was that car ride back <laughs> to the house like? I'm going to give you a little more backstory. Yeah. While I was up there, they told us we had to call our family, call our parents. And I was like, you don't understand. I don't like my father, and I don't care to talk to him ever again. So I'm going to pass. And they were like, no, you will call him. And it was very controlling. They knew where you were every second of every day. You lived with the other interns. They drove you around. You didn't have a car. They controlled everything you did, everything you ate. They told me I was fat, and they put me on a diet immediately. Of course, I was a girl who was 19, and I thought I was fat. Every girl at 19 thinks she's fat. I was not fat. So control, all about control. Uh, they would limit what you ate. They would limit what you sleep. They would wake us up at 2 in the morning and be like, God God told us you need to pray. Get up and pray. If you fall asleep, stand around, walk around. Sleep deprivation. Yeah. Control, control, control. control. They would sit you in the middle of the room, and they would yell at you until they would break you. Now, growing up in a manipulative household, I was a little bit stronger than that. I was going to say, this is what you didn't like about your dad. Right. And now you're in it. But I was convinced that this is where God wanted me. Right. So I stayed. And... uh I would sit there and take notes. I was taking notes on all the ways they were misquoting scripture, sure. misconstruing scripture, and what was wrong with what they were saying. And then I would close my notebook and put it elsewhere so that I wouldn't get in trouble. But everybody went through everybody's stuff, so I did get in trouble. And they sat me in the middle of the room and yelled at me. And I realized after, I don't know, 25 minutes of them yelling at me, if I don't break, they're not going to stop. So I pulled on my acting chops and I muscled up some tears and shook some shoulders. And then they're like, okay, they're, they're, they're thinking they're breaking me. And I was thinking, no, you're not. You do not have me. So I just laid low. How long would you have put up with pretending right. this is where you were supposed to be? Because you're essentially lying to yourself. Yes. Right? Yeah. Okay. I was. I, I convinced myself this is where God wanted me. I still think it's where God wanted me. I don't know how far I would have let it go. I have a friend who was up there who was doing the same thing I was doing. He was pretending. He tapped out after about two months of traveling with the, with the troop. So he made it about eight months. I made it like two. Okay. I did call my family because they said I had to. And they were sitting right there next to me. While I'm on the phone, hi, mom. Hi, dad. How are you? Yeah, everything's really great. It, it, it was completely fake, but I'm like, why do you want me to Did talk that to tip people? your dad off? Because a little. it was so out of character for you. The bigger thing that tipped him off was my, I had a conversation with my sister, who I'm very close with, and she was like, Steph doesn't sound like herself. And then at one point, they made me stop talking to Mark. He was my best friend. And then they told me my relationship with him is inappropriate. And they made me sit on the phone with Mark and call him and say, we can't be friends anymore. Do not talk to me. Do not call me. Don't even think about me. Our relationship is over. And you did that. I did do that. And then I think I cried the most I'd ever cried in my entire life. And legit. Legit. Mm. It was horrible. Because not only did I just feel like I was gutting myself, I was hurting the best friend I'd ever had. And I was like, yeah, no. I felt horrible. And after that happened, Mark talked to my sister. And then those two went to my father, which was brave because was he was not say, a nice man. Yeah, because he he's not the one any of your siblings would go to to lean on. No. 
No. He's the one you'd go to in high school if, like, a teacher, like, really made you mad because he'd love a good fight. Sure. So he would fight because he liked to fight, not because he wanted to defend you. Okay. So right. maybe my sister went to him to, like, raise a ruckus. Yeah. But she did, and that is what tipped him off. And then my father, which I never would have guessed this, started doing research. He had that side to him. He gets really interested in something, and then he researches the living snot out of it. So this is 2001. So the Internet's not what it is. So his research has to do with calling people. He's calling families who have kids that are still up there who were interns that now stayed, which a lot of interns stayed. He had families whose kids came back as interns and were in counseling for years. He, like, he dug deep. So he's just like, this thing is nuts. I'm going to get my kid. Yes. So my father calls me and he's like, hey, I'm going to be in town for an art exhibit. And I'm like, "Uh uh-huh. But there's somebody sitting next to me. So I'm like, oh, really? And I'm playing it up real nice, like, because I have to, which was the biggest red flag So you knew exactly what your dad was up to. No, I didn't. I knew he was up to something. I'm like, why does he want to see me. He does not like me and I do not like him. So why is this happening? But he said they were going to be up. It was going to be a Saturday. Make sure you're not working. We're going to go to breakfast. My little team leaders, the one I was supposed to marry, I was rolling my eyes there in case you missed it. I wasn't going to marry this dude. He, he's like, your parents are coming down. That's great. I'd love to meet them. And I'm like, "Mm mm-hmm, dad's a piece of work. I don't think you want to meet him. And he's like, no, no, we do. So they, like, planned this whole thing. We're going to eat breakfast here. They controlled the whole situation. There were always going to be two or three people with me at all times. I would never be alone with my parents. So my father did something that he'd never done his entire life, and he was early. So he was early, an hour early. And all I thought was, why are you early? Why are you smiling at me? And he was nice. And I was like, that's weird, too. He's not being mean to me. So they come into this apartment and my roommates are like scrambling because they're like, oh, we have to get Aaron and he has to get over here. And my dad's like, you know what? Let's just meet him at the restaurant. And I'm like, but I don't know what restaurant we're going to. And dad's like, you know what? That's okay. Smooth talker, this dude. Smooth talker. And he was like, we're just going to we're just gonna go and we're going to meet you there. We'll see you guys there. And one of the girls is like, I should come with you. And dad's like, oh, no, you're not ready. It's okay. And he like scooted me out the door very quickly. And I was like, hmm. So we get in the van, and it's all gutted out for the art. Like, there are no seats in the back, Mm -hmm. normal. And so I'm sitting there, and I'm like, but you don't know where we're going. And Dad's like, you know, there's this really cute, like, local breakfast place right by our hotel. We're going to eat there. And I'm like, okay, but I'm going to have to call them as soon as I get them and tell them where we are. Absolutely. Sounds good. And we get there. And uh, dad's like, let's sit and order real quick. And I was stoked because there was nobody there to tell me what I couldn't eat. Right. I got all the food. I got the pancakes. I got everything I wanted because I was like, well, there's no way they're going to be here in time to stop me from eating. So I'm going to eat. And ordered the food. And then I was like, I need some quarters to pay phone. This is 2001, guys. And he was like, oh, you know, I don't have any change on me. Uh, You know, our hotel's really close. We'll call him after the breakfast. Breakfast is practically already here. And I was like, okay. I guess this is weird. Also still being nice to me. Very, very weird. Asking me a million questions all about, hey, what, what is the preaching like? What do you guys do on a day-to-day basis? Tell me about these people that were interns that, la- that stayed, the externs. Tell me about them. Really weird. Do you think they were purposeful questions yes. to try to get you to process? And see, see what my view was on everything too. Sure. Yeah, to know what was going on. So... <laughs> We leave the breakfast place, and I'm like, yeah, I really need to call. They're going to be worried. So I was programmed to the point where I realized I needed to call. Plus, I still thought that this was my new family. My old family was gone. I had been programmed. Cult. Yeah. So 
we went, uh, we literally drove like 10 feet into the parking lot right next door. That was the motel they were staying at. And I was like, I could have walked over there and called dad. It's like, oh, don't worry about it. It's fine. You can call from our room. And we go in the room and dad does another thing he's never done before, which is crack the window and smoke by the window. He smoked two packs of cigarettes at least every day. I hated it my whole life. I hate the smell of smoke. I hate the fact that I have asthma because he smoked so much. I just, I hated all of it. And he did not care. He would blow smoke in my face. Not a nice guy. Right. He cracked a window. And I was like, that's weird. It's really weird. And he uh, sat, he sat by the window and lit a cigarette. I picked up the phone. He leaned over the bed and he pulled the cord right out of the wall. And I thought, Okay. Here it is. Here we go. This this is a thing, and it's going to happen. And he said, Stephanie, we have reason to believe you're in a cult. We believe you're in a cult for these reasons. I've talked to these people. I've done this research. Did you know they're under investigation from the IRS? All of the things. And I started to cry because I thought, today's the day I walk away from my family forever. Oh, no. And I will stay yeah. with this forever because they're wrong. And then he handed me some notes from each of my sister's I think my brother, my youth leader, who was just an amazing man who loved God, uh, a female mentor in my life who I'd been so close to. She was like a mother to me. And he said, before you make any decisions, I want you to read these letters. Also, I was really, really tired. Um, a lot of sleep deprivation. We probably worked on three-ish hours, maybe four a night. They'd keep us up late. They'd wake us up in the middle of the night and have emergency prayer sessions. And when people aren't sleeping well, you're not thinking clearly. You're not functioning right. at your best you. It is a manipulation technique. Sure. So I was just crying and crying, and I fell asleep on the bed because I was so tired and emotionally just Yeah, you're full. Empty. You're tired. Oh, I was just exhausted. Yeah. So um, I woke up and there was a gal there and she said, your parents called me and they wanted me to be here to answer questions for you. There were a lot of things that didn't add up. Like there would be times I'd be like, why do we function this way? Why do we do this? And they would say something. And I'd be like, red flag. That doesn't add up. This woman literally absolved all of those red flags. She explained to me everything of why the church split, why this guy was doing what he was doing, what he was doing, why he was manipulating all these people, why they married everybody in, why they had the internship, how they were embezzling. And I was like, oh my stars. Everything she said made sense. Nothing they said had made sense. Everything she said made sense. And that's when I realized they're right. This is a cult. I'm in a cult. And then I thought, I'm in a cult? And I cried some more. Yeah. And then dad's like, okay, we're going to go. You're going to call them and we're going to go. And I'm like, go where? Dad, they'll find me. They will find me and they will take me. And he's like, nope, they won't. I won't let it happen. And I, that was the first time I was like, that's, that's not my dad. Wow. He doesn't care for me. Why would he say those words? He doesn't love me. If he did love me, he wouldn't have been a poop all of those years. He wouldn't have hurt me purposefully with his words. Parents who love their children don't do that. And he, he, I saw it. I was like, okay. So I got in the back of the van and we drove back to Nebraska. He left me in Lincoln with my sister who lived here because she had a different last name. So she'd be harder to track. So I stayed here for a few days and read my Bible, slept, cried a lot, ate food. All I had were the clothes on my back. Right. Literally, that was it. They did go by my parents' house a few times in Kearney. Wow. And my dad's like, Yes, please, come in. I'd love yep. to talk with you. He could be intimidating when he wanted to be. Actually, he's probably intimidating all the time. I just was never intimidated by him. But 
uh, I doubt they went into the house. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That would surprise me. And then uh, it was maybe a week or so. I'm not sure. I did go back to Carney. I stayed with my parents for about a month. And dad did what he called deprogramming. Which was a lot of reading your Bible, like literally hours a day, sitting at the kitchen table. Okay, get out your get out your NIV. Okay, now put that away. Now get out your uh, concordance. Get out your Strong's. No, get out the Young's concordance. Okay, now get out your Amplified. Like a library of Bibles and Bible tools and studying and digging into God's Word to see what it said about everything. And we made a list of all the things that the cult said or did that I thought was wrong. And then all the list of the things that he thought was wrong, which were mostly the same things. And then we got to see what the Word of God said on that. Pages, pages, and pages of just the Word of God. Nobody's opinion, no commentaries. The Word of God, which is truth, never returns void, sharper than to any any two-edged sword. The Word of God. What's going to save me? The Word of God. What's going to change my life forever? The Word of God. Everything else Yeah, for anyone listening, if you're going to a place that puts a mediator in between you and Jesus— leave or that goes against what the Bible says. Get out. It's a cult. Done. There's no other explanation whether you feel like you belong there or not. Your heart during this time, this one month with your dad Bible studying, where's the forgiveness factor? Any any movement towards the moving the needle to, I see my dad in a new light. Yeah, immediately. Like you say forgiveness factor, I'm like, there was no unforgiveness to have there. Right. Even when he was old dad, I still really forgave him. Like I legit forgave him. And then he'd be crappy again, and then I would forgive him again, Yeah, full knowing he's never going to change. Yeah, it's a process, but he is changing. He was. I mean, all of us were a little dubious, all five sure. of us kids. Like yeah. I talked to all my siblings at one point, and they're like, is this real? And I'm like, I think so. But we all saw all these phases from basket weaving to, yeah. to glass blowing, and we thought maybe this is just another phase. I still, being an independent person, could not live with him. <laughs> Yeah. More than that month. I had a friend from high school who needed a roommate, so I moved into an apartment with her. But um, I didn't leave running this time. I left walking to this apartment. And then dad's like, let's 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 get together a couple of nights every week. Let's keep this up. And we did. One of the biggest changes was the way he treated my mother. He was so mean to her. And that was so hard to watch as a child. Right. She's such a kind, loving, gentle woman. She is the epitome of good and wonderful. She's a Proverbs 31 woman. I would love to be like my mother someday. I just don't know if I made it the same material because she's just incredible. And watching him push her down her whole life with him, well, my whole life, to never get to see her reach the potential of who God wants her to be. Yeah. That was hard. Yeah. So what changed him? It was God. He loved you enough to get you away from this cult. Mm-hmm. Did it? Did he say, I'm going to deprogram Stephanie right now by Bible studying. Mm-hmm. But the side effect of that was him getting in the word. Mm-hmm. You and think did it, that is that him? what changed his heart? I mean, what something had, what did your mom say? What did it? He actually, she said he started Bible studying like that. The, when uh, Lisa and Mark came and talked to him and she said, I thought it went through one ear or not the other. And then the next, well, he didn't sleep a whole lot, but she's like, I, I get up the next morning, he's in his, he has a bunch of Bibles on the table and, and he's looking things up and he was already diving into God's word, making phone calls, calling people, diving into God's word, making contacts with other people from who were in the cult, who 
he's even talking to ex like interns that had came and left and they were like, oh yeah, it's a cult. He, all of that, I think that was the form of God changing his heart. There was a point, my mom said, where he just got down on his face on the ground and he said, God, if you will bring my daughter back, wow, I will change my life. I will commit to you a Sabbath day. I will have a Saturday that is a Sabbath where from sundown to sundown, I serve you. I only do things of the Lord. I only talk of things of the Lord. And that is something that he kept until the day he died. Wow. He kept a Sabbath day for 12 years, a Sab every Saturday. Wow. I actually got married yeah, at 7 o'clock at night so that he would come to the wedding. Sure. Because he was like, oh, no, we have our Sabbath. And I was like, yeah, I mm -hmm. want to get married. So could you please just... <laughs> Wow. Just 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 start your Sabbath a little early and he's like, I'll talk to God about that. And I'm like, okay, you do that. Fortunately, I guess God said, Yeah, go to your daughter's wedding. But Yeah, so in his meanness, you think in that time period, Jesus was in there. Yes. Because I don't think just... Jesus ever leaves. Yeah. I think he was running. I think he was fighting that that thing in himself. I think he was so fearful and unloved and unsure of everything. And even looking back Walking through things that happened when I was a child with my therapist, I see his reaction, his treatment of me is just a reaction of what was going on inside of him. Sure. All of it. In his childhood, I would imagine there was a lot. There's a lot of trauma there. Okay. There's a lot of trauma. Yeah. And I understand why he did what he did. I understand why he was the father he was, why he made the choices he did. That does not make any of it acceptable. No. He's an adult and he needs to take responsibility and not blame others and not make decisions because of this. Right. He's an adult and he's a God-fearing man. He should have done better. But I understand why he did what he did. I love, too, how you talk about forgiveness as a process. It is a process. And I think that was what gave me great relief. Like, at first I thought, I need to forgive this person because I identified myself being resentful towards them. Forgiving them, but then... It being okay to have to forgive him again and forgive mm -hmm. him again because, you know, Satan comes back. He likes to remind you of right. all those things. I try to counter that by thinking about good good memories of that person <clears throat> to, to counterbalance. Like, oh, you can show me this, but I'm going to feed you back this. I'm going to mm -hmm. show you this. So I, I just find great relief in that you share that it is a process that's just going to continue. I think we get it gets easier. It does. You know? And even though I forgave him long before he asked, I mean, he probably was, and we literally do refer to him as old dad and new dad when we talk about sure. things. An, and it makes sense, a new creation. <laughs> he was I mean, a new creation. Right. Uh, but we'll talk about it. And I had forgiven new dad. He was he's probably new dad for at least two or three years before he asked me for forgiveness. Wow. And we were outside my sister's house because he's not allowed to smoke in the house. And he was having a cigarette. And he's like, come outside with me for a minute. And I did. And he looked me in the eye and he just had all the tears. And he said, can you forgive me? Wow. He said, I didn't go to a single play. And I said, well, I didn't invite you. <laughs> and he's like, I know. I just assumed you didn't do things. I'm like, no, I did things. I just didn't want you there. And he said, yeah, I'm sorry about that. I am mm. so sorry. Can yeah. you forgive me? And I said, of course. Dad, I forgave you forever ago. And he just cried. This 300-pound man draped himself on me crying. And he's like, how? And I said, because God asks me to. Right. So I do. Wow. And I know he went to all of my siblings at one point asking for forgiveness because cause he knew he really screwed up. Right. He really messed that up. Fortunately... Our God is amazing. Sure is. And he's bigger than our mistakes. 
And, you know, all five of us, we're doing pretty well. Yeah. We all love Jesus, and that's a big step in the direction. That is the main thing. The main thing. How do you keep away from being bitter from all the things you didn't have? And, you know, you can't undo the past. No. How do you stay away from being bitter and angry? You know, I've never been a super angry, bitter person. Like, just naturally, I've never been the kind of person who's going to hold a grudge and be like, oh, yeah, five years ago, you dinged my car, man. I don't like you. But I think ultimately it is that I I have the Word of God in my heart, and um, I know who I am in Christ, and I know I'm not supposed to be bitter or angry. I do have moments of anger, especially re-going through things with counseling. I will have a day where I'm like, oh, my goodness, that man, and I get all riled up. And Mark will be like, okay, and he'll listen to me, or I have a couple friends, or my sisters will listen to me, and then they'll pray with me. And they'll let me be hurt, and they'll let me cry, and then I move on, and I grow. You can be angry. You just can't stay angry. That's great advice. Wow. Yeah. Pretty amazing. Thank you, Stefan. Yeah. What a tremendous <laughs> life transformation story. It is amazing. It was my father's life transformation, and I— fully believe that I was put there so that he could do this. And he became a great patriarch in our family. He became a man who loved Jesus. My my nieces and nephews do not know the man that I knew when I was a kid. Right. They wow. know a man who's happy and kind and loves them and loves Jesus and built a tree house for them for whenever they came over. And he was an amazing man who loved Jesus. And I will see him again in heaven. Everything that you lost or didn't have will be redeemed Yes. when you're you get to the other side. Absolutely. And there's so much that you may have lost even as a child that, honestly, the Lord will give you the comfort if you'll accept it. And you can move on from that. You shouldn't try and live in it. Well, and I think, Stephanie, it's not just his life transformation. It's yours as well. It is. It because is. there's many, many places where the story could have ended. Yes. For you. Yeah. And it would have been way worse. This is a way better version. God is certainly in the business of life transformation. He did it for Stephanie and her dad. He'll do it for you. And he did it for a guy named Larry. We'll hear the story next week. When we go closer. Visit GoCloser.com today for more stories of transformation and for your copy of Faith in Real Life, a powerful book that will inspire you to walk in the light even when life gets dark. Request your copy of Faith in Real Life at GoCloser.com.